If you would, please come in and have a seat and we can get started this morning. We want to welcome everyone to our, our service this morning. We're glad that you're here. It's, uh, it's a great day out, uh, outside so that you could be in here today. We're glad to see all the folks back from camp and uh, the starting of school this week. So it's going to be a great week this week. As you know, today is our fifth Sunday and a special contribution will go to, uh, to improving our, our facilities. And thank you for being part of that today. We have a great night tonight. Uh, Brother Stephen will be uh, having the program tonight. There will be no classes. Everybody will be here in the auditorium at 5 o'clock tonight. We come together this morning to worship the Lord. Let's start our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you give to us each day. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for taking care of the things that, that we can't take care of ourselves. We ask that you be with us as we enter into this time of worship together today. We pray that we can put aside the cares of this world and to worship you in accordance with your will. Be with us and help us to live our lives so that others can see Jesus through the life that we live. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We'll start the first song today will be We Will Glorify. We'll sing all verses. <clears throat> Wow. 
given us to come and worship you. We're especially thankful, Father, for the rain that you've blessed us with the last couple of days. God, this morning there's several that are sick that we want to lift up to you and ask that you please be with them and comfort them and be with the doctors and nurses as they care for them and help us do our part to do what we can. And this morning, God, we just want to say thank you for your patience and your grace that you've given us. This morning, God, we just ask that you renew and refresh our spirit and just help us remember our purpose and our aim. Fix our eyes on you so that we can serve you in the way that you would have us to. God, we want to lift up today all the <clears throat> teachers and administrators and students that will be going back to school this week. God, please be with those little ones and be with their teachers and just give their teachers courage to instruct them in the way that you want little children instructed. And God, we want to ask you to please forgive us for all of our many sins and the ways that we fall short so often. 
Please be with Brother Ken. We're thankful for him and his ability to preach your word. We ask that you be with him this morning as he delivers this message. We love you, Father, and we thank you. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, the song of invitation will be almost persuaded. It will be on the, on the screen only. And for that, this, if I can get my phone to work, um, this song too, Hallelujah. It's a song that's going to sound very familiar. Uh, we sing Jesus is Lord. So about eight years I came here, uh, and we led a song called Hallelujah. And when I come here, it took me about two years to get used to Jesus is Lord. So it's just a, a different version of it. Uh, the first, first verse, everybody will sing it as written, four-part harmony. Second verse, there's a counter melody. You know the counter melody. Um, and then on the last verse, it goes back to Alleluia. Everybody sings the four-part harmony, except there's the counter melody. Y'all know it. So when we get there, I've got the uh, words in red that'll tell you when that is. So let's sing this song.
I'll be reading Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 33. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he will be able with ten thousand to meet him, that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our worship. I hope that you've already prepared your heart for this time of worship. I heard something this week that, I don't know, it just made such an impression on me. I guess it's been in my mind all the time. I've certainly tried to practice it. But, you know, sometimes when you just put it to words and lay it out there, it takes on another life of its own. I was in a class that was being conducted by our own Stephen Hodgen at our camp this week. And he just made the most profound statement about worship. He said, if it's not already in you, it can't come out of you. In other words, we don't come to worship to fill our cup up. We have come here to empty ourselves. What we've already prepared, the the joy that we have had through this week has been so bottled up that when we get here, it can't help but just be an explosion of praise. Have you exploded today? (laughs) Some of you are ready to go right now. I, I hope that's true. A lot of you know, maybe all of you, I don't know, that I went to camp with our kids this week. I was a counselor, so that meant that I was embedded in one of those cabins I was with 13-year-olds, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I had the most extraordinary week. I know that we say and we advertise it, in fact, we align it such that the emphasis is on camp for our children, but I'm going to be the first to say, and I can't speak for anybody but myself that camp was also for me. I got so much out of being at camp, and I don't care if they were kids. You might be surprised at the extraordinary level of commitment and dedication, and yes, even spirituality that you'll find in children. Now, I do not intend to steal anybody's thunder who might be making announcements later, but I will just kind of give you a teaser that at this camp we had at least three of the children that we sent 
baptized during the week, in addition to several others from other congregations. And we just, we just rejoice in that, do we not? And I, I have never thought of camp this way as I think of it now. I really and truly believe that Bible camp is a mission work. It is an opportunity to share the gospel really with people who are already primed to hear it, but we are just doing the very best either to cultivate a continuing growth in spirituality or in some cases we are there to harvest it. But it was just, it was a wonderful time. I, I, I don't want to get onto this too much because I could spend my whole hour Wait, he's preaching for an hour? Stop, back up. Just, no. But I could spend the time just talking about the beauty of Bible camp. I'm just, just tickled to death. And if they will have me, I hope to go back next year. Samantha Carlson has been hobbling around here on an injured foot for several weeks, and it's not been getting better. And she asked me this morning if we all would pray for her. She's having a doctor's appointment on Friday that is going to involve an MRI to try and determine exactly what's going on with her foot. Well, she's asked her family to pray, so we'll do that, won't we? We want to remember Samantha in our prayer that he'll bless her. And then I want us to was to really just open our hearts up today here when we ask God to help us with this lesson. I know it's Capital Improvements Day. That's not really the most Im impressive way to describe it, I guess, or it isn't something that gets us all fired up and ready to open up our pocketbooks, but... It is important. If it were not important, we would not be committing a whole Sunday's contribution to it. The building, the structures, the things about our property are important that we keep them up. And so we are asking you to give in such a way as to help us finance, be able to take care of a major damage that has occurred to our building. Uh, mentioned that to you last Sunday, the, the A-frame, the top part there, has damage to it and left unattended for, for long enough, it's going, to, it's going to result in some pretty serious damage. So we want to take care of that. Unfortunately, the bill is $40,000. I, I think it would be the most extraordinary thing if today we were able to collect $40,000 for fixing our building, our building, right? It is our building, all of us. This is all of us together collectively as the Boonville Church of Christ. This is our house right here. We say it's the Lord's house. Okay, yeah, it's the Lord's house. It's got uh, the Church of Christ out there on the front of the sign, but you understand the church is not the physical building. The church is you and me. We're the children of God. We're, we're His church. However, we are meeting in a collective place. We're collected here in this building 
that is for the purpose of doing a lot of things to help this church function, in particular today, our worship. So I'm encouraging you to help with taking care of your house. All of us together, this is our responsibility. So let's do what we can to see to the need that exists. Let's go to God in prayer. We're going to talk about in our prayer that God will help us be committed disciples. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. Being a real disciple. I titled it, Forsake All with a question mark. I'm going to answer that question. If that's really true, we forsake all. Let's pray. Father, we are thrilled to be back here in this building on this first day of the week for the purpose of joining our hearts and minds and spirits together in worship of you. I pray, Father, that as our cups were so full to overflowing with the experiences through this week, that as we have gathered here today, it is spilling over in us. We pray you are glorified to the greatest degree. We pray, Father, for our family. And in particular today, although there are so many, but today, Samantha has asked us as a body to come before you and to ask your intervention on her behalf. We pray, dear Father, as a body for Samantha that she will get some answers this Friday about her foot. And not only that, but that you will empower these doctors to make the correct diagnosis and then to follow through on exactly the right plan for healing for her. We need her at her full potential to be able to exercise her faith the way she wants to, that this hindrance will be removed and just enable her. And thank you, Lord, for the way you're going to answer that. We thank you, Father, for the good things that happened in camp and, and so many other camps that have gone on, but in particular, the one we were involved in this week. And all glory and honor is to you. And we thank you for the celebration that there is in all of that. We ask, dear Father, that you will bless us today as we're attempting to take care of this building that you made possible for us through so many years of diligent giving and activity. We pray that in this time, in this moment, we'll be good stewards of what you placed in our hands. Lord, we pray that you'll direct us to those people that can do the most efficient and um, beneficial work to this building, that they'll do it in an economical sort of way, but... Besides all that, help us collectively to gather sufficient funds to be able to do this work. Lord, I pray now in this time, this time of meditation and focus upon your word, this time in which all of us are so intent on this word that it has taken the form of worship before you, I pray that you will help and enable us to express ourselves in the very best way in terms of our discipleship today. And Father, I pray that you'll help me to communicate the things that you know I've prepared, and I pray that those who hear it will be able to unpackage these truths and make direct application to their own lives. And Lord, I pray the expression of that will just be extraordinary. 
thank you for the opportunity to serve you in every way today. And thank you for the blessings that will grow out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Discipleship is no joking matter. Being a true disciple of Jesus Christ is more than just what we consider, I guess, to be some signature items. If I asked you if you're a disciple of Jesus, you might point to that moment in which, based on your confession of belief, you were buried in the water, you came up out of the water having your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, and you're a new creature. And Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you raise your hand. You say, I was saved on that day. The Lord added me to the church. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's great. What I don't understand many times is how it is a person can do those signature items that we would point to to identify ourselves as disciples. I, I don't understand how I can come out of there convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for me, suffered on that cross, by the way, shed His blood, became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world for all time. I can't understand if I grasp that, that I would come up out of that water having been humiliated because of my sin, confessed it. I'm a sinner on so many levels, but I'm changing my life at this moment based on the knowledge and conviction of Jesus as the Son of God. My Savior died for me. Come up out of that water and in only weeks or months drift away. I don't get it. What I do get is someone who went through that, came up out of that water, so on fire that they commit themselves to discipleship, faithfulness to God for a lifetime. And you know, Revelation 2, verse 10, be faithful until death and you'll receive the crown of life. Yes, that's what I want. I want to be a disciple and I want to walk with Jesus. Guess it may be then that since we have some folks who don't necessarily do the second one, but so many do the first, that they fall away. Maybe, maybe we haven't done a very good job talking about what it is to be a disciple. What is expected of disciples? And I'm not just talking about, oh, well, Ken, I'm not in that second group. I came out of that water. I made the commitment to be sitting in that pew every time the door is open. Now, I'm not that social of a person. I don't like these programs that we got going on here, but at least I'm sitting in that pew and I'm listening to every sermon. I even take notes, whatever. Okay, that's great too. But there's also more than just sitting in the pew. Discipleship is even more than just simple activities. Discipleship is the absolute commitment that I have made to give all that I am and all that I have to Jesus. 
And then whatever form of need that exists that represents that commitment to Jesus, I am just going to pour into it all that I am and all that I have. Question, forsake all, question mark? The answer is absolutely. But Ken, where's the catch, right? Where's the catch? Where's the part that gets me off the hook? Jesus used two parables in quick succession in order to emphasize what he meant by hating your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters, even your own life, even to the point that you would bear your cross. Jesus gave two parables that just answer every question that we might have about discipleship and about the commitment that we are having to be a disciple. The first involves this man who is going to build a tower. And I don't know the purpose of the tower. I don't, I don't know if it was some kind of monument for himself or if it was going to be a functional kind of tower that was going to benefit other people. I just know that this was going to be a big project. It was a project that was so big that it necessitated the importance of planning. So what you're going to do if you build this tower is you're going to take a moment and you're going to ascertain, number one, do I have the resources? Do I have what's available in order to build this tower? And number two, do I have sufficient finances? Can I pay for what's going to be necessary to build this fine tower? Because if I miscalculate, if I miscalculate my resources, I miscalculate my funds, I'm not able to finish, oh, I got pretty close, but I didn't finish, then I'm going to bring upon myself mockery, ridicule. People will say, that guy, he went out there, he's going to build this tower. Listen to him now, he was going to build a tower, but that guy didn't have what it took. Isn't he a joke? I think the point of that's pretty obvious, don't you? Well, let's just take ourselves back to this watery grave right here. We came up out of that watery grave. We are building a tower. We're building our lives for the Lord. And we start off and we have a great foundation. And we start putting block upon block, but we just lose our enthusiasm. We don't have the stamina for it. We are tempted to go back from whence we came. Whatever the reason, we didn't build the tower. We didn't build our life on the foundation of Jesus. And it's a mockery. Now here's what I'm thinking about that. It, it isn't just that people come along and say, you know, I, I knew it. When he or she said they had become a Christian. I, I, did, I knew it wasn't going to be long before they slipped out of that. I knew that the kind of person he was before, he was never truly going to be able to overcome that, and he would eventually slip back into it. What a joke. What a joke. Now you understand, that was Jesus' blood that washed your sins away. And so Hebrews chapter 10 describes this scenario of the willful sinner as though he just rips Jesus down off of that cross and he tramples all over him as though it were nothing. What a joke. But 
not just the outside impression on that opportunity of life with Jesus that was squandered, it's also what happens to everybody else who made that commitment. When the brothers and sisters see you fail, when they see that you, you decided to take on Christianity, but you had not truly counted the cause, you had not truly thought about what it's going to mean to be a disciple, of giving all that I am and all that I have, and because you gave up, because you couldn't keep your promise to Jesus, that now they're beginning to waver. And now we have multiplied the disaster. Don't be a disciple like that. Don't plan to become a child of God without having truly thought about what that kind of commitment is. And then the second parable that he gives is about these two kings that are going to war. I take it that one is in a fortress and the other is the attacking king. The one in the fortress has 10,000 soldiers and the one who is on the attack has 20,000. Well, the guy who has the 10,000 has some decisions to make. You know, do I fight this battle? Do I just decide to bear down with my 10,000 and take on the brunt of the assault? It is possible, given our fortifications and our understanding of the terrain and everything, it is possible that we could win this battle even. Even with half as many men, however, there are going to be significant losses. So I need to decide right now, as this battle is about to begin, do I fight with the potential of losing a lot of people and a lot of resources? Or do I surrender? Do I decide to give in to give up. It seems to me that the story, the lesson about discipleship is pretty apparent there too. When you became a Christian, when, when you were able to say 100%, I'm a disciple of Jesus, when you came to that place, were you surrendered? Or were you still fighting? I've known a lot of people in my life who just from the outside, and I can't judge their heart, I don't really know what they were wrestling with. Maybe what I was seeing was surrender with complications. <laughs> but there are so many people who seem like they are just fighting Jesus. They have not surrendered at all. And they may be going through the steps of what we would call the Christian walk. They're going through it like a Frankenstein monster that is uncoordinated and doesn't really know where he's going, but they're still making the steps. However, at the same time, it's like there's something pulling them back. It's just like they're struggling step after step. Not, not necessarily with the internal struggles that we might imagine, but they just, they honestly are coming face to face with some things that Jesus requires of them that they're just not ready to do. Not ready to give up. They're not ready, as had been the promise of their conversion, to make a total commitment to Jesus. 
Jesus is going to require of us, He does require of us, all that we are and all that we have. Let's break that down. Let's be more specific. Discipleship requires all that you are. All that you are as a human being, discipleship requires that of you. Okay, here's a text, I think, that would describe some of that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are just, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now right there, just kind of in a nutshell, are some things that should have been changes within us or things that we are pursuing. And if they truly are changes and if they are things under our pursuit, he says God's going to be with you. That sounds like somebody who's on the right track. That sounds like somebody who truly is a committed disciple of Jesus Christ going to meditate on those good things. So let's back up from that. That's what I'm going to do. You know that when we talk about committing all that we are, talking about our personage, like I say, what what makes up Ken Forrest? Who is that guy? Well, some of the things about myself would be true about you. When he's talking about all that we are, everything about me as a person, certainly he's talking about my mind, Now this talk, this text spoke specifically about what's in our minds. We're supposed to be meditating upon the things of God. Listen, if I'm a disciple of Jesus and I have given my mind to Jesus, then I'm going to be sure that what it is that's going into my mind is going to be good and holy. Here's something, Stephen, I noticed with our kids, like... They would play these these songs over the speakers, uh, popular songs, songs you would hear on the radio, all kinds of genres. It was unusual. You you had hip-hop, you had rock and roll, you had country music, you had little kids' songs. It was just a a beautiful little mix of popular music all through time. It, It just, you would always find something that appealed to you. But here's the difference between the kids today and the kids of my time. When I was a kid, I learned some of the songs, some of the lyrics, but I I noticed I've been singing a lot of those songs now for 40 or 50 years. And when they come up on the radio, boy, I get into that section, I remember. But even though I've been singing or humming along this song over these 50 years, half the lyrics I don't even remember. Or I make up stuff. Not these kids. Kids today, I don't know what it is, but I just watched them. Almost every single kid who is singing a current, modern, popular song, they knew every single lyric, 
Every single one. They didn't have to go everyone like watermelon, 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 you know, making noises. They knew every word. To me, that is the apparent danger right there. When you know every single word, what does that tell you about where that word is? It's right here. Okay, parent, what are your children listening to? What are they putting in their minds? Because I'm going to tell you what their habit is. Their habit is to memorize every single word. Now, I remember when my children were coming up and starting to listen to popular music. I don't know if it's like this now or not. I haven't really checked. But at the time, my son challenged me because I heard a word in one of the songs that it was not good. And so I challenged him. He said, oh, Dad, it's just like your music from... I'm like, I don't think so. So what I did was I pulled up Billboard's Top 100 and I noticed, thank you, that they had beside the, the, the list an explanation of what you could expect as content in the music. So I looked at some of the songs of like the 60s. There was no note at all. The 70s, maybe within the top 100, there might be two or three that out to the side said something like explicit. Come to the 80s, not so much, but when we get to the 90s, 2000, 2010s, now I guess, I'm just imagining, probably 2020s as well, nearly every song had explicit out to the side of it. Or it had explicit and then it had a clean version that was also on the list. That blew me away. Much of the music that my own son, I was taking for granted was okay, was actually filled with explicit lyrics. What kind of parent am I? If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, I am going to guard my mind. I hear so many times people say, well, go see this movie. It's got a few little bad things in it. But you know, we know how to spit those bones out. Do we really? Do we know how to eat a fish and spit out the bones? You might spit out a lot of those bones consciously, but subconsciously, you have done nothing to rid yourself of the knowledge that has now been put into your brain. I am not a, an, a professional on the mind. I'm not a neurosurgeon or anything approaching that. But I do understand that as much of our mind seems to be unused, that once it gets in there, it sticks in there. Ask anybody who has an Alzheimer's patient friend or family member if it is possible for things that you once forgot that are 70 years gone, if they don't reappear into the present. How did that happen? Well, somewhere in the deep crevices of our mind reside the evils that we have taken in, we thought we spit out. Protect the mind. If I'm going to give myself over to Jesus, I'm going to set a sentinel there and protect what comes in. The same thing would be true with regard to our heart. The things that we are affectionate about. The things that we care about. Go through the inventory of those causes for which you are most passionate and ask yourself, are these things truly that are devoted to the cause that I promise to be a part of for eternity? 
And even more, I guess, obvious would be the, the things that we can see, like our eyes. Be careful, we tell our children, what we see with our eyes. They sing those songs all of the time, but that is a lifelong lesson to learn. Be careful what you see, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Be careful with what you listen to with your ears. What goes in? It is so sticky in there, remember? What goes in, we're not ever going to get out. And that tongue of ours. That tongue is a dangerous thing. And whether it is literally the physical tongue by which you communicate, or somehow or other your tongue has taken over your fingers over a typing board, a keyboard, however it is that you communicate, be certain that your communication is that which would reach the approval of Jesus Christ Himself. I mean, we love to jest and kid, but when those things cross lines to the offense of another person, or when we take up causes that are not Christ-like, those causes become a detriment, not just to our own walk, but they affect everybody else. I always thought that social media was a tool I can't say that in itself it's good or bad, but it can be used for good. It can be used for everlasting evil. Here's the thing about the Internet. It's kind of like your mind, except electronic. <laughs> Once it goes out there, it doesn't ever go away. You think, well, I'll do a Snapchat. That will last only a few minutes. It'll be gone forever. Not so, my friend. Whatever picture you have taken or words you have spoken are stored somewhere by somebody who oversees that. They do so for legal reasons. If ever one of your photographs or one of your messages is tied up in some kind of legal battle, guess what? Federal government can just snatch that right up. Oh, and look at all these other interesting pictures that you have here. I wonder if I could make a little money on the side by selling some of those. There's just no telling what that tongue or, by extension, your keyboard can do for your future. But set that aside for a minute. Why do I even care about that? What motivates my tongue and motivates my speech through a keyboard? It's not whether or not I get caught doing something. It's the knowledge that I'm the Lord's. He bought me at a price. And so I'm going to honor Him with my speech and with my communication. It could be your feet that get you into trouble. You know, your feet carry you all sorts of places. Don't you love this physical body? I kind of think that's why Samantha wanted us praying for her foot, because it's difficult for her now to get around like she'd want to. I think about our, our sister Martha, who's had so much trouble with her foot. What she wouldn't give to have that thing healed and be mobile like she once was, to be able to go about doing the good works for which she is known. How wonderful that would be if our feet only took us to those places where we could serve God. The body is a marvelous vehicle. That's all it is. It's a physical vehicle that carries our spirit from place to place. We are not a body that has a spirit in it. We are a spirit that has a body that enables it to go places. And God's intention for the use of that spirit of yours was to go and touch another spirit so that we could see the world one for Jesus. But where are we taking our spirit? Are we taking it places that degrade the Lord? 
that call into question our commitment? If I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to be that disciple who has control of himself because what I'm trying to give to the Lord is all that I am. Why would I hand the Lord a bag of garbage? I'm not going to do that, are you? I'm going to hand the Lord something that is useful for His purposes. Be certain that whatever category of being that is specifically you is protected so that you can use it to the absolute glory of God. That is you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says that you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Take that up a notch, would you? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith, I live, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Stop right there. He loved me and gave Himself for me. He died for me. I came up out of that water a cleansed child of God. It's Christ who's living in me now. Why would I do anything to soil, to dirty, to somehow corrupt the Christ who is in me now? Don't you dare do it. To be a child of God, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ requires all that you are. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ also requires all that you have. Okay, so there's a sandwich going on here in our text. Verses 26 and 27 introduce the story. There are two illustrations by means of parables, and then there's the concluding statement. The way we began was this. Jesus said, whoever of you that doesn't hate his father or mother, wife or children, brothers or sisters, even his own life, can't be my disciple." Whoever isn't willing to bear his cross can't be my disciple. Hate's a strong word, isn't it? Hate. Jesus is making a strong point. I don't care who it is in your life. Jesus and my commitment to Jesus has has to be number one. Sometimes we will translate this, I guess, for simplicity's purposes and really to kind of get the right idea across is, you know, Jesus is saying, love these people less. That's partly true, but that's not entirely true. If my father and mother are getting in the way of my Christianity, I have to choose Jesus. If my wife or children are standing in the way of my Christianity, Jesus comes first. If my if my friends stand in the way of my service to the Lord, I'm going to choose Jesus. How many times have I heard the story of the faithful mother who carried her children to church services even though her sorry, drunken, workless husband lays around in the house and just cusses at her all the time, maybe beats her up for good measure? And how that woman, in her perseverance with those little children, And oftentimes, one of those children even becomes a preacher or an elder or a deacon in the church, 
But over time, even though the, the life of those children is muddled with all these mistakes of, of a father who's just gone off the rails in terms of his responsibility, that at the faithfulness of that woman, eventually he rose up threw off that sin and became obedient to the gospel. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Even to the extent that I know of at least one case in which that sorry man right there became an elder in the Lord's church. I've got to put Jesus first. Not just because Jesus is on an ego trip and needs everybody's attention. The reason that I'm putting Jesus first is because in my family, I want my whole family to be saved. I'm going to put Jesus first because I'm not going to let them influence me otherwise. So when it comes to father and mother, I want them saved more than anything. So I'm going to maintain my Christianity even if they don't. My wife and my children, I'm going to strive to be an influence for good. And no matter what happens, I am going to see to it that Jesus is known in this family. I am not giving up on the Lord no matter what they do. When it comes to our brothers and our sisters, they are not baggage that we carry along. They are physical connections that we can use in order to build a relationship with Jesus. Because after all, what I have done what you have done as a disciple of Jesus is that I have given up every single relationship that I have and I have given it all to Him. Jesus is my Lord and my Master. He is who I serve. Do I love my parents? I love them to my dying day. Do I love my wife and children? You know that I do and my family, and my friends. And there isn't anything I want more in this life. There is no treasure, there is no acclaim that even matches it. The desire that I have to see them go to heaven. And the way that that's going to happen is by a total commitment, at least, at least, at the very least, on my part. I am going to be faithful regardless of whether anybody else is. Well, Ken, you know, you're talking about, you know, relationships. That's important. You know, you kind of had me scared there a moment because you said at first, discipleship was all that I am and now all I have. Whew, thank you for only talking about relationships. I mean, those, those are things you have. Gotcha. Man, I'm glad you didn't talk about my car or my house or my money and stuff like that because that, wow, seriously, come on, you know, that's, no, that too, that too. All that you have, that too. You got a car? Use that to the glory of God. I, I don't care if you have a, a $100,000 car or not. That is immaterial to me. What matters is whether I'm going to use that $100,000 car to the glory of God. My dad taught me a lesson one time, brought a brand new Taurus wagon. Woo, proud of that thing. Drove it to the house. We were building a house at the time, so now building a house, got a brand new Taurus wagon. Woo, look at Kenny. Everybody hungry? Yeah, we're hungry. Let's get in Kenny's car and go get something to eat. Well, those people that he was talking to had been rolling around in the mud and sweating all day. Well, you know what we did? We went and got the ragged car that Dad drives. No. No, we didn't do that. 
Nita, we all piled in that new Taurus wagon, didn't we? The reason we did that was because it was available and it could be used for good. You know, we get so attached to stuff. Had a cousin, shameful. He had this brand new 1970 Trans Am, red and everything. But he would not let his wife drive it in the snow for fear that it would get snow up on the side of it. Boy, he keep that thing nice. You know where it is now. It's off in a dump somewhere. It's probably been repurposed for a drink can or something. Your stuff is going to perish. That, that car, the house that you live in, uh, all of the things that seem to be so important, we want to keep so tidy and so, so perfect. We want to keep it perfect. Oh no, it's got a little scratch on it. Got to paint that, got to cover it. What will the neighbors think? Stop. Wear it out to the glory of God. All that I have is the Lord's. All of it. <laughs> you say, well, it, it, I got a little problem with that. I mean, I worked hard for that stuff. I had that stuff before I became a Christian. Okay, peace. Jesus addresses you. <laughs> he really does. Uh, you, can, you can choose to do one of two things. You can choose to fight the Lord if you want to. You can fight. Or you can surrender. You can fight, but, but in fighting, you're giving up some things. Like John 10 and verse 10. Jesus said the thief doesn't come except to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. If you choose to resist Jesus, you're not, you're not going to have that abundant life. Neither are you with a, a material mindset, neither are you going to enjoy or be able to perceive the things that Jesus in, and the Lord are doing for you all the time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That is kind of a rhetorical question, don't you think? Of course life is more important than those things, but we don't act like it. We act like the clothes. I've heard of a trend where if you have the leather running shoes or the red, uh, leather uh, tennis shoes, that you can buy special inserts to put in those shoes so that they won't bend at the toe because forbid you should have creasy shoes. What's really important to us? Is it our stuff? Is it our stuff that really matters? No. Because those creasy or non-creasy shoes, one of these days is going to be out of vogue. Or you'll come to your senses. All the physical things that we experience are temporary. They were designed to be temporary. Our spirit is eternal. It's been purchased by the Lord. If I resist, nothing good's coming of that. But if I will submit myself... Listen to the conversation Jesus had with the rich young ruler. It came down to this. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus said, sell all that you have. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Of course, now he resisted the Lord. 
he went away not having done that, but I, I just wanted you to notice, if you would do that, that's eternal. That's a blessing that will not, that will not end. I mean, we really need to make a decision. You came out of that water, you became a disciple of Jesus Christ. What kind of disciple are you? Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Don't fight against Jesus. Surrender. Surrender all that you are and all that you have. Do you need to come do that publicly? Let's do it right now while we stand together and sing.
If anyone's in need of the emblems, the ushers are have them. And if you raise your hand, you provide them with them at this time. I worked for a man one time many years ago when I was a teenager, and he told me, he said, I won't make you a lot of promises, but one thing I will guarantee you is I'll never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Well, young, you don't think much about it, and the older you get, you look at those things, and things older folks teach you, they have a lot more learning to them than you think. Depending on who we serve or who our leader is might measure up to how great the task might be required of us. When we look back to Abraham and the task required of him, sometimes I feel ashamed when I think that how I would handle that situation or how it would be. But no matter how we feel about it, God didn't ask him to do anything that he would not do himself. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever should believe in him would have everlasting life. As Christians, we follow Christ. And we're to follow in his footsteps, and sometimes there's some pretty big shoes to fill. The Bible tells us, Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, you will be my friend. It's pretty amazing to be a friend of Jesus, and to be made worthy by his blood, and to be counted worthy to be here and be able to worship him at this time. We're commanded today to remember those things. We're commanded to honor that sacrifice for what he's done for us. At this time, let us give thanks for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this time we have to come together. We're ever so thankful for all that's been done for us. Lord, pray as we look to this and partake of this bread, Lord, that we remember it. Pray, Lord, we take of it in a manner pleasing unto thee. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. <clears throat> and likewise, Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for this cup that we're about to partake of. Lord, we're thankful for it and this representation of the blood that cleanses us, Lord. Pray that we'll always look to that and ever be grateful, ever be mindful, and grateful for what's been done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And a lot of times when I think about giving and Christianity is a balance of us trying to provide for our family and do the things and honor God and put Him first. But a scripture that tends to cut on me pretty good is Matthew 8, verse 20. It says, The bird have nests, the foxes have holes, and the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. We're all blessed with so much more. We all have so much. Pray, Lord, that as we give today, we'll give a portion that is we feel is good for us. 
Let's give thanks how he's blessed us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for all of the blessings in life that thou has given us. Lord, we're so thankful for our physical abilities to go out and work and earn a living, Lord. And we pray as we do that, Lord, we'll purpose in our hearts a, a portion unto thee that is satisfying, especially this Sunday here. Lord, we're ever so thankful for the bountiful blessings and all that we have, Lord. Lord, we pray we'll use all the things that we have, no matter great or small, that we'd use them to thy glory. And if the need arises, pray, Lord, that we'll be willing to give what we have unto others. Lord, we ask thee to forgive us of our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. A couple of quick things from me. The uh, teachers meeting that is scheduled for 3.30 today, um, I have, uh, that's postponed until uh, later time. There's some other things that I want to do with that, so let's postpone that. But the uh, promotion, the Bible class activities that we have planned at 5 will remain the same. So we won't have any classes. We have some things that we'll do, as already has been announced. Doug talked about those the other day. Uh, at five o'clock, and I hope everybody will come in here and be a part of that this afternoon. Um, also, as far as uh, Maywood is concerned, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, first, I want to thank you personally, those of you who prayed for us, those of you who provided desserts for us, those of you who were who went and worked tirelessly uh, this week, and all the the things, the outside things uh, that you provided for us. Um, uh, providing, uh, uh, whether you donated some drinks, whether you donated a golf cart so that this old man would, was able to do more than I would have done without it, and, and all the many things that go into that, I thank you for that, and especially those who donated financially to that. But uh, last week, um, uh, we had four of our young people who obeyed the gospel uh, at Mid-South, uh, Sandra Holloway, obey the gospel and was baptized into Christ. And this past week, uh, Hayes Parson, Thomas Long, and Riley McCoy uh, uh, made that decision and obeyed the gospel and became uh, Christians. There were 11 baptisms total during our week at Maywood. Also, we give out several awards uh, that have to do, there are uh, outstanding camper awards, there are uh, Christian leadership awards, there are some... Um, other spiritual awards. If you are a camper who uh, had the opportunity to receive one of those awards, Outstanding Camper Christian Leadership or one of the other spiritual awards, stand up. And you will see that Boonville was represented quite well. Have a seat. Now, if you were a camper or counselor and you were at Maywood this past week uh, and you think that um, you were closer to God because of that, raise your hand. I take a look around, folks. Uh, it is a mission field, and I appreciate that very, very much. Good morning. Thank you for being here on this beautiful Sunday morning, July the 31st, 2022. This is our fifth Sunday, and as you know, the uh, fifth Sunday contributions 
are going toward capital improvements. We had a total of 300 in services this morning. I have just a few announcements. Uh, singing in the park for the teens is tonight. The bus will leave at 6.15 p.m. from the TAC. Bring your supper with you if you want something to eat. Uh, sympathy is extended to Buster Green and the death of his brother Joe and private graveside services were last week and sympathy is extended to Lisa Horn in the death of her father Larry Dillard. Visitation will be today from 2 to 3 p.m. at Gaston Baptist Church and the funeral is at 3 at Gaston. That is all the announcements I have. Would you please stand for our closing prayer? Our dear, most kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us and the opportunity that we've had to come out and study your word once again. Lord, we pray that what we've learned today, may we apply it to our lives, and may as a result we better serve you. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Forgive us, Lord, wherein we've sinned against you, for this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.